0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor
1: Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Thanks for joining us this fourth day of October 2019. Today's question posed to Father Steve Macias and me comes from a listener who asks the question, what place, if any, do devotionals have in the life of a Christian? And he says he's specifically thinking of the Jesus Calling devotional, which he's heard several people, specifically women, reference as being helpful. Also, he wants to know that some, whether or not we agree that some people call these kinds of devotionals adding to Scripture giving new revelation, and therefore should be avoided? And then he just kind of rounds out his question by saying, so the issue may have two aspects, specifically the Jesus Calling devotional, and then secondly, the place for devotionals in the life of a Christian, and does the Bible speak directly to this? So that's a big, juicy question. I'll turn it over to you for the first comments.
0: Yeah, well, I think on the part of the devotion aspect of it, I think there are certain dangers that come with devotion, but there are also just misunderstandings about what devotion or, or daily Bible reading or uh, spiritual readings are. And I think we should first remember that the ancient Jews, uh, the the people of God in the Old Covenant, they had a idea of devotion, which was a little bit different than ours, right? They had their their famous prayers, the, the Shema, they had their prayers they said at meals. They had the prayers they said when they saw rainbows. Of course, you know, since the time of Christ, there's a whole rabbinical system that's been added. But throughout the Old Covenant, there were certain understandings that when you rise up, just like it says in you know, the, the uh, early books of the Bible, when you rise up, you have to acknowledge uh, the God that put his word upon your, uh, on the front of your eyes, put his word upon your lips, put his word with you. So, inside the Old Covenant, there's the idea that you are a devotional creature, that every day you need to go to God and have a response and a reading or a recitation or something that you're remembering uh, who God is. So, first thought out is there is a place for devotion, just because that's what the Old Covenant Christians did, or the Old Covenant believers did. And there is a place for devotion because St. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Uh, and Christ himself gives devotional prayers, the Lord's prayer itself. So first comment is, yes, there is a place for devotions in the Christian life. Now, what that looks like is to be debated.
1: Let's just define devotion, and I like going back to Webster's 1828 just because he's usually pretty thorough. And the first definition is the state of being dedicated, consecrated, or solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. So what you said in terms of waking up and then rise you know rising up in the morning and living your life that we should be in a state of dedication or consecration to God. And then the second definition he has has to do with the attention to the supreme being in worship and yielding of the heart and affections to God with reverence, faith and piety and then external worship, the acts of religion performed in our religious duties. So none of those have to have a negative connotation, but obviously our questioner must think there's some aspect where things can go sour in this whole process. And what do you think?
0: I think that's certainly true. We have a big issue in our American evangelical culture of cafeteria Christianity, meaning that you can go into a lifeway, although Christian bookstores are kind of disappearing, but you can go into The LifeWay website, (laughs) and you can find whatever flavor of quote-unquote devotion you want. If you want one that's targeted towards uh, women or men, one that's targeted towards construction workers or towards mothers, you can find all of these various narrow niche-focused devotionals that seem to speak to whatever it is you want. There's the one for charismatics, there's the one for Catholics, there's the one for people who are too busy, or there's all of this consumerism that's gone into devotions. And so instead of allowing the Lord to speak to you through his word, as the old covenant believer would, and allowing some type of penetration of your soul by what God has for you today, we start with ourselves. Uh, We begin to try to discern what would I enjoy doing, or what would I think the Lord is telling me, and we go and we cafeteria, we pick something off the tray, and we think this is what we want. Um, and so we're allowing our personal desires and what I would say the flesh determine what our devotional life should look like. Because there's a real danger there, I think, because it's personality driven. It's emotionally driven. It's sensitivity driven. It's pietistic. I think what Dr. Rushton would call it. And uh, that we are making ourselves the judge of what godly material we should be consuming.
1: And he would go on to call it anthropomorphic that instead of God being at the center, what does God require? It's more like how, as you put it, my particular flavor. So I've seen biker Bibles or biker devotionals, and I've seen teens, and I've never seen the construction worker, but whether or not you were joking, I don't know, and there probably is one, that the idea is that somehow or other we are the focus because somehow or other God gets something beneficial from us and we just have to approach him. And this is very much like Sunday school for kids and youth groups and singles groups. Not that there can't be a function socially for such things, but it almost implies that the word of God has to be addressed to a particular segment based on the current cultural norm.
0: That's right. Well, and there's another part of that because Christians who are listening to this, who are big fans of devotions, or maybe you have a friend who's a big fan of devotion, will say, well, isn't it good enough that they're trying to find something to feed their soul? Isn't it good enough that they're trying to get into God's word? Who cares if it's perfect material? And the answer to that is, the most popular devotion, the most popular daily said particular meditation in the world today is not Jesus calling as popular as that is, It is the Rosary. It's the Hail Mary. It's the Roman Catholic daily devotion to the saints and these uh, vain repetitions that they do. And what you need to remember is the origin of that daily devotion is not in the monastic orders of the old times, but it is in the ignorance of God's people. So around the year 1000, the idea of the Hail Mary is born amongst the illiterate of Rome. So the the, the monks and the religious leaders at that time took the, the pieces of the scripture that would be uh, considered the body of the Hail Mary and they gave it to the people to memorize who didn't have access to uh, the scripture themselves. And they said, Your new devotion would be to memorize this. Now, prior to the year 1000, the Christians were memorizing the Psalms themselves, the scriptures themselves, memorizing them for using and repeating. In the church service. But post the introduction of the Hail Mary and the Rosary, the people begin to become more and more ignorant of the scripture and more focused on the superstitions of the devotion. And see, so that's the real danger of all of the devotions today. Not so much that the content might not be good enough, is that we would replace the power, the strength of the sword, you know, the word of God, with human inventions. There's nothing as great as John Piper is that can replace what's written in the book of John, right? There's nothing that Dr. Rushtuni can say that can replace the books of the Bible. So you are missing out on the true power of God if you don't get to your Bible, and instead you just focus on devotional tidbits, as great as they are.
1: And there's more to going to your Bible than just opening it up, you know, stick your finger down and go, this is God's word for me today there's a requirement for a systematic approach to the scripture so that you just don't hang out in one place. I really like the Gospels or somebody else really likes the Epistles or all I read is the book of Proverbs because it's God's entire word. So by making the editorial decision as to what's going to be in and what's going to be out, it's almost like we're getting God's word pre-digested for us. And that's not what he requires.
0: Right. And I'm glad you said a systematic approach, because there are lots of diversity in how to systematically approach the Bible. Um, if you go back to the earliest centuries of the church, uh, the early monastics, you know, those people who left the cities and went out to the deserts, like uh, St. Antony and St. Athanasius, just these guys, they would approach the Bible as something that you should take up six times a day. And you should read something from the Psalms, something from the Old Testament, something from the New Testament. They were developing systems so that instead of depending on the leaders or, or the great thinkers of the day to come up with what you should believe, they were allowing the God of the Old Covenant, who is the same God of the New Covenant, to speak to them by overlapping these passages. You were, you were seeing things like, okay, Jesus says in the beginning in John 1 and Genesis 1 says in the beginning, there are some common grounds and they were allowing the scripture to interpret the scripture that was the true devotion to allow our prayers to be the various word of god over different places and so this evolved over the centuries you see saint benedict uh, who moves it from six times a day to eight times a day and you have the eight hours of the church uh, that are prayed by members of the monastic orders And they, again, are adding in Scripture on Scripture so much that they go through what's called a lectionary or a calendar of Scripture, where they're reading the entire uh, book of Psalms every single month. They're going through all 150, or they're reading the entire Old Testament once a year and the New Testament four times a year, so that their devotion was consuming the Word of God. Now, it's not practical, of course, for normal people to pray eight times a day and to read their Psalms every month, maybe uh, that seems too overwhelming for you. But in my tradition, the uh, Book of Common Prayer took those eight offices and broke them down into two offices. And said, in the morning, you should say a psalm. You should read something from the Old Testament. You should read something from the New Testament. You should pray for your day. In the evening, you should do the same. And uh, this idea of devotion centered around the scripture was the foundation of all of Western culture.
1: So by having a system and by approaching it that you're going to get through the word of God, then whether or not you one person does it exactly the same way as someone else, by the time a year goes by, you've digested the word of God, the spiritual food. And I would disagree with you when you said some people say it's not practical, because I know plenty of people who get into their car, turn on their radio or their favorite CD, if people still use CDs, my car still has one. But the point I'm trying to make is they know songs, and they know their favorite pop artists, and they can repeat lots of different things in in popular culture. In a sense, they're doing a devotional to a world and life view that oftentimes is very, very antithetical to God's Word.
0: Well, and it's, you are whatever you love. I was doing a chapel service earlier this week, and I said a bible verse and i said but god so loved the looked at the students and they said world right and then i go to (laughs) and the lord prepares you for every good and then no idea that the next word was work because they weren't familiar with that passage and so then i said okay well can you finish other devotions Uh, hakuna and they all could say matata right (laughs) so Mm -hmm. there's there's a sense that whatever we put into ourselves becomes part of who we are and so we have to be very careful that our devotions. Uh, when they're beyond the scripture that are devotions that are, in compa- that are compatible with the scripture and that lead us to the right paths. Now, in addition to the, the superstitions about the Hail Mary or the Rosary, uh, there are other superstitions that have crept in from uh, the Roman Church into mainstream spirituality, something like a Lectio Divina. And some of our listeners would know what that is, but some might not. But this was a medieval monastic practice where you would open up the Bible, and you would read a couple sentences of scripture, and then you would wait until God mysteriously revealed something special just for you in those scriptures. You know, God speaking to you in whatever passage he happened uh, to open to, very similar to what you described as opening up your Bible and putting your finger down. Now, this, this is not how the God of the Bible mystically (laughs) speaks to us. You know, what he said to his original audiences is what he really meant. And so our job is, of course, to apply that, but not to view the scripture as insufficient as it's written. It doesn't need to be new and reapplied to every single generation for it to be true. You know, uh, the verses about uh, the people who are living in Corinth obviously are meant for the people living in Corinth uh, and they're true for the people in Corinth and they're true for you. They don't need to be magically reinterpreted to apply to whether or not you should go to Dunkin' Donuts today.
1: (laughs) I never thought that there were people who were actually leading their lives that way, but I suppose there are. So when we talk about devotionals, we're really talking about a regular training of ourselves in terms of the the Bible's uh, sociology or the Bible's anthropology and, of course, the Bible's theology. If we want to know who and what we are, we don't go to listen to some talk show host or read the latest self-help book. The Bible's going to provide that, but it's li- likely to do so if you're not looking to it for answers.
0: That's right. And looking for answers from the scripture is more than looking for experiences. So I think one of the reasons devotions like the one you mentioned are so popular is because they they bring out our our warm fuzzies as my youth pastor used to tell me when I was younger. They allow us to read a part of scripture that brings apart this warmth in our heart that makes us feel comfortable. It's it's soft, it's calming, it's soothing. It makes us feel like it's our best life now. Uh, and it gives us this idea that The true experience of godliness or true experience of spirituality might just be that warm closeness to God that we get from reading calm or safe passages. Uh, But true experience with God does not come from quietly sitting in our devotions. The true experience of God, the scripture says, is by serving God. Uh, I was just teaching this morning uh, on depart from evil and do good. Experiencing God is seeking the peace of those around you, not only your personal inner peace. You've been saved from your personal sin. um, Now move on. It's no longer about your personal uh, health or well-being. Now it's about you serving those around you. The trap of devotionals uh, that, that focus entirely on the individual is it allows us to put up a bubble as though we are being holy and serving God when we are serving actually just our own emotions and feelings of ourselves.
1: And this ties in with the common practice that's referred to as quiet times. Do you have your quiet time? And, and telling people that in order to be faithful, they need to set aside a day to have a quiet time. Now, I'm not saying that there's something inherently wrong with making all the noise stop and and finding a time where you can actually think without, especially if you're a young mother, having uh, demands put on you by the children need this or that. But it almost becomes an institutionalized practice that it's more important to do your quiet time than fulfill your responsibilities as part of your calling. And they somehow become mutually exclusive and one takes precedence over the other this quiet time. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I think there's certainly uh, an imperative from Jesus who says when you pray, you know, go into the closet and don't do it before man. There's obviously this idea that Jesus has that we would go and be quiet and pray at certain times in our life. Uh, but there, there's another danger here, and it's this nefarious belief that our peace comes from outside, right? So if it's quiet around me, if it's not distracting the child or not children are not yelling, um, maybe they've gone off to school or somebody's watching, them. then when the circumstances around me are peaceful, I can be peaceful but the the God of scripture uh, you know we, we remember the passage where it talks about the the God in the wind, the God in the storm, the God in the thunder. The God of scripture teaches us that the peace is not something that, uh, that the world is going to be able to give us in able to in order to have quiet time, we have to be able to not allow the things of this world to take that peace away from us because there will always there will always be things that are willing to to rob us of quote unquote our quiet time but being able to find true peace like Jesus is talking about is despite the noise around us despite the the pending deadlines or the work or the children or these things that those things are not taking away your joy because your joy is found in the Lord alone, not your circumstances.
1: Exactly. Um, you know, Dr. Rushdoony has in his two-volume set on systematic theology the last subject he tackles is prayer, and it's a delightful read because it's not typical. It's not typically what you just described find the quiet space and then and only then are you really going to have true communion he talks about regular conversation with god one sentence prayers and he equates it to that if you're in a relationship let's say with a spouse you don't wait till it's just quiet before you talk you don't just talk to your spouse when you wake up and when you go to sleep and and before meals you talk regularly throughout the day And he really encourages people to do such things. And I know that I've really um, focused on realizing that God's with me all the time and I can pray. So I pray for the parking space or I thank God for the fact that I switched lanes and I irritated the guy behind me, but I didn't get hit because I wasn't paying good enough attention. So that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God and acknowledge him in all things. And I think that is as much of a valid devotional as deciding that you just have only this 45 minute time in your day and you have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to do it so that no one else is present. That may be a very fruitful time for someone, but when it becomes codified and that if you're not doing this, you're not really holy, I think it can it throw people off in terms of a true and genuine relationship with God
0: and it's about this idea of really finding who the the center of who you are uh, so many of us use devotions as a way to kind of peer inside of who we are uh, rather than allowing the Lord to tell us who we are and we haven't really talked about the the devotion yet but that's one of the things that's troubling about a large group of people using the same extra biblical devotions, because it's written by somebody about their personal experience. And then you're going to relive or rekindle their experience as your own. Um, And I think what we're truly after in doing that is this fear we have of missing out on other people's spiritual experiences. We see what other people have, uh, this you know, intimacy with the Lord that they write about or this closeness. And we desperately crave that. I think all of us really want uh, to have that feeling that the Lord is near to us. And then when we see something that so many people say, oh, yes, this worked for me. It's, it's Jesus calling. It's, it's really brought me close to the Lord. Our soul really thinks, all right, well, I need to try this because currently at this place, I don't feel like that. And what that does is it moves our center away from, where God wants us to be to trying to find our center in other people's experiences. And that will always be chasing after the wind. You're never able to recapture uh, the love that, that Andrea has for her husband. As much as you admire their, their marriage, you're never going to be able to experience that by watching just them. You're never able to experience the, the new romance of a new, of a new couple by experiencing them on TV or watching them. That type of intimacy Uh, You can only experience your own by going to God directly. And so we should not substitute uh, what God has already offered us in his word for these samplings or these pieces of experiences.
1: Now, just to add into this something that may sound contrary to what we're saying, years ago, Dr. Rush wrote a regular column for a small California publication called The California Farmer, which was an agricultural periodical, and his regular column was entitled The Pastor's Pulpit. And when you think of the fact that his audience at the time was relatively small, and now you look at the fact that years later, Calcedon has taken this compilation of his articles for the California Farmer and put it into a seven-volume set entitled A Word in Season, and the subtitle is Daily Messages on the Faith for All of Life. Now, I'm going to read on the back what it says in terms of the uh, back copy and then give you a little bit of insight in how some people I know have used this. It says, these daily messages on the faith for all of life are unlike any compilation of Christian devotional ever published. In these pages, you won't find the overly introspective musings of a Christian pietist. What you'll discover are the hard-hitting convictions of a man whose sole commitment was faithfulness to God's law word and representing that binding word to his readers. Although Dr. Rush Juni is most known for his scholarly works on theology, history, philosophy, economics, education, and statecraft, A Word in Season reveals the intense but simple approach to applying one's faith to every area of life and thought. This is all done in a format of bite-sized readings on the uncompromised faith. Now, I've gone through the seven volumes a number of times, but there's one homeschool family I know who make this what they sit down and talk about or read before they have a meal. Now, because they're a homeschool family, they tend to eat all their meals together, at least mom and the kids do. And so as a family, they've gone through these devotionals on a regular basis, but they don't just stop with the reading. There's a discussion. There's questions with the children. What did he mean by that? Do you agree with that? Do you see it that way? And In each case, there's going to be a scriptural, either passage quoted or one referenced, or you would know if you knew the scriptures what was being said. And it provides a way for a group of people in a family situation to be focused on the same thing at the same time, which will then give a continuity in the family in terms of what we think, how we think, and how we approach certain things. So I don't want anybody to get the idea that I think in and of themselves, devotionals are a cheap substitute for Scripture. They can be a really wonderful aid in bringing out an understanding of Scripture.
0: That's right. And I think the other part of it is we have to look at the the objective or the aim of the devotion. You see, uh, this goes on both sides. Uh, when we think of growing in our faith or, or growing spiritually, uh, we have one group of, of believers who mistakenly believe that to grow in grace mm-hmm. is to become more intellectual, to know more of the Bible, to know more uh, facts about the, the Word of God. And we have another group that mistakenly believes to grow in grace is to, to be more independent in what we can accomplish, that God would move us to... Uh, be able to handle more do more or be more uh, a better mom a better you know these different things but the real goal of a devotion and, and growing in grace is allowing god to make our faith for all of our life you know that that everything we do would be assisted by grace and uh, this is kind of backwards to how the modern thinks about uh about growing in grace we think of growing in grace as growing in stature, becoming more and more strong in our faith. But really, the point of a devotion, whether it's the scripture or something else, should be for us to remember more and more that we are like children, that everything that we do or need to do needs to be assisted by the grace of God. So if your devotion isn't pointing you towards dependence on God for whatever you're doing, uh, then it's going the the other direction. and you know, Colossians, it says that that every word or deed will be done in the name of Jesus Christ, dependent upon his grace. And so the, the greatest devotion are those that lead us to needing and consuming more grace. And we've, we've talked disparagingly about uh, monastics, but there's a great uh, monastic of the 17th century that I think exemplifies this idea of, of needing grace, and that's Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence wasn't about secluding himself. He wasn't about uh, separating himself to getting on his knees and saying the Hail Mary or these type of things. Brother Lawrence was about doing what the Old Covenant believers did. He recognized God when he was washing the dishes, recognized God when he was uh, sweeping the floors or spending time with others. He gave us an example that the mother who's changing a child's diaper, and needs grace is just as much experiencing and working for the kingdom of God as the person who's on their knees in their quiet time, that these are both places where we are experiencing the growth and the grace of Christ.
1: That's a funny example because sometimes when you are changing a diaper, there's a need for grace in lots of different ways, but uh, it really goes back to the idea that we should be in constant communication with God, and not judge ourselves in terms of how we fare or how we measure up with other people, just recognizing the awesomeness of being in the presence of God and having that access. Um, I think that's a humbling experience. And no matter what's happening around you, there is a peace that passes understanding when you know who's in control. And you really know who's in control because you've come to terms with the fact that it's not you. Amen. All right, You have any recommendations um, in terms of ways in which not only our questioner, but other people? I've mentioned the seven-volume set, A Word in Season. You have any ideas or recommendations yes. you'd like to share?
0: Yes, and so um, we'd be remiss if we didn't answer this, but on to the question of Jesus Calling. Uh, Tim Challies has written a great thing about what's wrong with Jesus Calling on his website. For the listener should look that up and see what his uh, criticisms are. They're mostly about how Jesus' calling says that the scripture isn't sufficient and that it's looking for devotion elsewhere. But as far as devotionals that I'd recommend, Abraham Kuyper, uh, you know, the, in the theological sense, great-great-grandfather of, of Rushduny's thought, uh, wrote a devotional called Near Unto God, and it's been put into modern English, and it's only about a paragraph a day. That's a great devotion. Uh, it's very similar in ideas as a word in season.
1: Well, good. All right, well, I hope uh, this was helpful to the person who sent in the question along with those who maybe uh, have considered it and and this gives them more food for thought. Um, I would encourage our other listeners to keep your questions and comments coming. It's helpful to us and hopefully things that you have questions about will be things that others have as well. So you can contact us through outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com And Steve, once again, thanks for taking the time to have this conversation.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.